Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast with me, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. We um, have so much to discuss, and the major thing we need to discuss, of course, is the collapse of Iraq as we speak. On my Sunday show, I talked a lot about how uh, there are just so many scandals going on, so many horrific things happening, that it's difficult for us as people who are doing podcasts, for example, to just keep up with this guy. Um, I can't type that fast. We have to be on the air 24 hours a day. That's right. To keep up with this guy. <laughs> I, I, and, now we, and now we look at the news. Oh, here's another thing we need to talk about as we're talking about the show. <laughs> right. So, so it, 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 makes it, very, it makes it very disjointed for the podcast because as we're talking about Iraq, boom, here comes another thing. Um, anyway, but, but we will try to limit it to Iraq for today. Um, one of the things um, that we now realize is – not that we now realize, you and I realized it back in 2011 when, uh, and before then, that uh, Obama decided that he's going to withdraw every single American soldier from Iraq. And you and I both would look to each other and say, and this is going to work how, right? This is not going to leave devastating consequences how? This is not going to completely squander all the benefits of what we had pursued in Iraq how um, you, you really truly had to be a um, a, a complete b- idiot to think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, sorry, but yeah, that's right. yeah, you have to be a true believer, a true believer in in all that is Obama and His Majesty, in order to to buy into that nonsense. You have to be drinking the Kool Aid, and uh, many people did, and their retort was, "Well, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. We're just simply." Undoing the madness of George Bush, um, and it's good that we're out there. That, that's their perspective. Now, had we, of course, just kept ten thousand troops there, we wouldn't be seeing any devastation like, that we're now seeing. I got to tell you, the only surprise that I have, Ari, when it comes to the um, the disaster that we're now seeing in Iraq, as we speak, by the way, uh, Tikrit and Mosul have been taken over, and they're slowly inching their way, I think basically 10 miles a day uh, toward Baghdad and conquering this or that um, city or village. And they're very successful, these monsters called ISIS. But anyway, they'll get to Baghdad soon enough. And uh, Iraq will collapse. There is uh, no getting around it. And it's, it's a very tragic situation. But this was so obvious to us. So obvious. I mean, if you left Germany right after World War II and say, okay, thanks, we're, you know, we're not here all week, yeah, wait, so to speak. You don't think they're going to be goose-stepping in a week? Yeah, of course. They'll, 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 re- they'll reconnoiter. Um, same thing with uh, Japan. Same thing with Korea. Uh, we, we kept our troops there for a reason, and we, we did so in order to secure the peace that we had so thoroughly worked for uh, and, and, and fought so hard for. But to the liberal mind, it's a question of undoing whatever the those on the right had done. I mean, I, I guess from their point of view, they see it like we see Obamacare, right? Yeah, repeal. <laughs> we, we, we want to repeal Obamacare. We want to undo Obamacare and, and hopefully make it more of a free market-based system. And, and maybe that's the way they see Iraq. They, they, they felt it was a, a horrible endeavor in the first place, and we just got to undo it. We got to repeal it. They're repealing the war by pulling out every man. Never mind that we've had consequences in the meantime. We've had people die for, uh, 
before the war. You know, nobody's died for Obamacare. Well, they die. They will die as a result of Obamacare, but they haven't died for Obamacare. For yes, okay, yes. So the only the only reasonable analogy is certain politicians who were uh, blue dog Democrats who uh, who uh, paid for it with their political careers. Their political careers died. That's right. No blood was shed. No, of course Bart not. Bart Zubak might just have joined Obama's, you know, zombie army of yeah, the but, unemployed. Yeah, but let's but let's, let, let's get to it though, because because uh, we have so much to cover. Yes. The, the point is that nobody died for Obamacare. I mean, we, we died. A lot of people died for Iraq. Now you don't. I, I get that you don't necessarily stay in a place because a lot of other people had died for it before. I, I kind of understand that as well, but. If you are of the belief, if you have a liberal mindset and you believe that some sort of stability in the Middle East is valuable, and you have to believe that, if you think that the bad guys should not be overrunning all the good guys, and if you, and if you want stability in the sense that you don't want them to overrun the, demo, the democracies that do exist in the Middle East, the limited amount, uh, what was Iraq and, of course, Israel is still you know, is, is, is on the horizon – then you should be for at least stabilizing the place and simply say, look, I, I, we shouldn't have a war there anymore, but I understand that we need to have 10,000 troops there in order to just keep the peace. Fine. We have not done so. We just pulled out every single man to the last drop, as it were, and now we're so surprised, so surprised, that uh, this horrible um, destruction and this de-evolution of the peace process is happening. It's all falling apart. And how do we know that they thought otherwise? Uh, because Joe Biden himself in 2010 said that Iraq will be Obama's greatest success, in addition to Obamacare, I suppose. Um, and he said, uh, not in the success and then like undoing the mistake of George Bush. He didn't say that. He said on the contrary, and you can see it on YouTube if you want to. It's a famous speech that he made in 2010. He said uh, with with Iraq uh, having parliamentary elections, the rule of law, and words to this effect, uh, that it was going to be very uh, a, a great success as a result, and that Obama was planning to take credit for that. Never mind that he never initiated the war, never, never mind that he did anything to advance the war. In fact, the only thing he did do was to pull out from the war. But that was the administration's um, thoughts and predictions about Iraq, that things were going to be just swimmingly good over there, from a democracy and infrastructure point of view and political point of view, I suppose. Um, and then, of course, this all collapses. They had no idea, Ari, that this was going to happen. None. You and I knew from the day that they left that this was going to happen. The, again, the only thing that surprises me is that it happened this late. I, I would have thought it would have happened a year, maybe two ago. But it was already collapsing as it was. I, I, you know, there were there were so many roadside bombings and so many terrorist attacks in Baghdad very shortly after we left. Uh, so the, it was already beginning to um, uh, to become unstable once the Americans had completely left. Uh, that was the problem. Now, I think you made the point Ari, before about how um, people are blaming Maliki that somehow he wasn't competent to negotiate the. Uh, what's the status of forces, status of forces agreement. agreement with the Americans with Obama, and um, but that you know that's the that's the nature of negotiation um, is that you you try to get what you can. Uh, I think Maliki said, "Hey, you know, we won't allow you to proceed without some sort of 
responsibility from a liability point of view if your soldiers do something bad here. And um, so Obama heard this and he said, okay, I'm out. And they just left. And I think Maliki just, you know, he's like the, those guys um, in the, the movie Life of Brian who were upset because they, they didn't, they, they, the, uh, the Brian character didn't haggle. <laughs> he goes, you've got to haggle. And it's like, why didn't you haggle with me? And, uh, and Maliki's there like, why didn't you haggle? And, but, but in the meantime, you can see all the dust uh, from all the Americans having left Iraq. And they, they're blaming somehow Maliki, but the fact is, it's, it's, uh, it's really all of our fault. We could have negotiated this. This was not hard to do. You simply talk to Maliki and say, you want stability, Maliki? You want us in here. And, uh, but instead, he was too solicitous. Uh, he was all too ready to accept Maliki's refusal. Obama, you mean? Obama was all too ready to accept Maliki's um, refusal to allow the Americans to stay, as if somehow the Americans were a problem. It also shows, this is, you know how Obama constantly hits us over the head with how culturally he wa- aware he is, and how ethnically sensitive he is to different cultures. Sure. How could, if, if this was unintentional, how could he not understand anything about Arab culture, that Arab culture has to, during negotiations, at least look to the, the people he, he represents and rules over to look like he's getting over something on Americans. So instead of 11,000 troops, it's 9,000 troops. Right. Or, uh, that, that, like you said, the haggling process is part and parcel of uh, Arab business practices. It's like you, you know those things. Right. There's no way not to know those things. Well, I mean, it's a, even if forget about the word haggling, um, it's, a, it's a question of just simply, you know, seeing if you can reach a, a deal. But it should, be, it should go without saying that you have to have at least 10,000 men uh, to, su- to support the country's infrastructure. It's just, it was so basic that they could have uh, agreed to almost anything. He just didn't care hard enough. That's the, that's the point. Whether he acknowledged the culture or anything, that didn't matter to him. It would have been true with any bargaining position, whether it was even with Canada. Um, he would, he would, if Canada refused to give him something that he, in fact, didn't really want at all, secretly, then you could say that's not haggling there either. Yeah, XL oil pipeline. Right. As- or I'll give you a, give a very simple legal example. I can settle all my cases. I can settle them right now. Every single one. I've got about 40 active cases right now. And for that matter, any cases that come in, I can settle them instantly. And if I'm the plaintiff, I can settle each one of them for $10. Okay? That's easy. And if I'm the defendant, I can settle them by paying them a lot of money. A million dollars. A million dollars that they're asking for, whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, and agree to whatever I've settled the cases, it, it, but it means I haven't worked hard. I haven't figured out the best path for a really good result for my client. And that's the way Obama is. He's, you know, whether it's, whether it's understanding Arab culture or understanding anything else, he just doesn't care. What you just said is so brilliant because it was a perfect paraphrase of Ronald Reagan in 1964, where he said that. If all you want is peace, you can have it the second. Right. Surrender. Yeah, that's right. Surrender, and peace is yours. But you'll have to live under the terms of the surrender. Right. In chains, on your knees, with bullets in the back of your head if you do what your overseer doesn't want. But there's your peace. Yep. Just don't fight. Just don't fight. And that's, that's the way it is. He, he obviously did, had no interest in um, 
having the American troops there. So what did he do? He, um, he, he had to play the game because he's the commander in chief after all. So he had to say, oh gosh, well, if you don't want us here, I, I, who am I to, you know, impose. to impose upon you, Mr. <laughs> Maliki. So anyway, I mean, you and I were making offline the joke about how he, he's like uh, Kramer from Seinfeld in that famous episode where Kramer is suing uh, some sort of coffee company for how, you know, the, the coffee being too hot. And, uh, and then when they offer him, how about if we give you free coffee for the rest of your life? And his attorney, the guy who looks like uh, Cochran, right, uh, is about to say no. That's uh, outrageous. And instead, Kramer jumps up and it's a deal with his that kind of funny, you know, quick arm gestures that he that he has. And the, you can see the lawyer just slapping his forehead, saying, "Man, what are you doing?" Anyway, so that's the way it is with um, with Obama and this uh, the Maliki situation. Look, uh, we are dealing with tremendous evil out there uh, with this ISIS group. They are hell-bent on destruction. I, I don't know if you saw the news, um, but we're going to hear more and more of this. I just saw it when uh, I was at lunch and watching Fox News. They were, they were saying, um, you know, these ISIS uh, men are coming in and uh, what we're about to show you is going to be very disturbing. And they warn you ahead of time. Um, and I, I, I knew what they were going to show me, so I didn't even bother. I can't handle some, some things that they show on TV. Fortunately, it wasn't the actual beheadings, but I know that that's happening too. Um, but you're going to hear that more and more often. Please be advised that what you're about to see is very disturbing. That's what you're going to hear. And I, I, I'm, it scares me to death. And then it scares me, of course, uh, not only for the people of Iraq who have fought so hard for freedom, who've hoped so much for freedom all this time, only to have it squandered away and maybe given to, to bad guys, who are maybe even worse than Saddam Hussein was. And, and for what reason? For, for what? So that the liberals can now say, we told you so? Is that, is that right? My, my dear liberal friends, if you are out there listening, and, and if you support the withdrawal of the troops from Iraq, as, as you did in 2011, as many liberals did, not all of you, but as many of you did, then let me make this very clear to you. You have blood on your hands. If you think that doing this was a good thing. How are you going to feel when you see these ISIS terrorists coming in and slaughtering and butchering people on a scale far worse than anything could have been imagined uh, under Saddam Hussein and then attacking and going further in, toward west and south into Saudi Arabia, into Syria, and into Israel even? How are you going to feel then? Are you going to say, well, that's the way it is. That's the way it would have been anyway. I don't think so. What if you knew that 10,000 men could have stopped all that or at least had a fighting chance to do so? And I think they would. Um, you are no different, my friend, than saying that we shouldn't have helped that old lady in the street who was, let's say, suffering from a heart attack. And then you pull her because you want to bring her into your car. And take, to take her to the hospital because it's a deserted road or whatever. And then you decide, ah, you know, I don't feel like it anymore. She's a little bit heavier than she looked. And you just kind of leave her in the middle of the road. And what happens, Ari? What happens when you leave her in the middle of the road? She dies. Because a car runs her over. 
And the whole point is, you know, at the Good Samaritan rule is once you start, you got to finish. Okay. And you got to at least be able to bring her to the appropriate care. You cannot leave her in a worse situation than she was before. Well, so many liberals don't seem to have a problem with that. They'll be fine with us having done what we did in Iraq and then leaving her, as it were, in the middle of the road, only to be slaughtered by some very bad guys. Now, once we took on the cudgel to go fight the bad guys, we need to finish the job. And finishing the job in this case, as, as it was at the end of World War II, at the end of the Korean War, and what should have been the end of the Vietnam War, was to support the good guys and leave a good contingent of 10,000 men to secure the peace. We didn't do that. And now we're surprised. Terribly surprised. Folks, I want to talk about the nature of evil and understand the nature of evil because so much of it is now happening in the Middle East and it just seems to me that, that people just want to turn a blind eye to what they see in the Middle East. Recently, we had the capture of three young boys in the Palestinian... No, sorry, from Israel. You mean kidnapping, not capture. That's right. They were kidnapped. Uh, they were apparently hitchhiking, and uh, they were kidnapped by some bad guys. And they were uh, uh, stolen away into some place near Hebron, and God knows where they are now. Um, fortunately, IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is now doing a full-on scale of hunt for these boys, but God knows what they've done to them. Send your prayers out to them. But evil is everywhere in the Middle East. It's everywhere in the world, that's for sure, but it seems to have a very good representation in the Middle East. And um, what does Mahmoud Abbas say uh, about the three boys who were captured or kidnapped? Um, he says, well, that's not the greatest thing, but we are going to continue to uh, our policy of kidnapping soldiers for purposes of uh, securing the, the freedom of our Palestinian brothers in Israeli jails who are wrongly uh, incarcerated there. So he pays lip service to the idea that maybe, maybe we shouldn't be kidnapping younger boys like these, but, you know, it's for a good cause. Now, I want to talk about the nature of evil, because here is Mahmoud Abbas, and he is well-dressed. I mean, when you compare him to Arafat, um, Arafat with that uh, crazy the kafia on, on his head. Or the sunglasses and the military fatigues. Yeah, the military fatigues and the, the, the half-shaved beard, which is never quite fully shaved. And, and he just he looks like a really bad guy. And he, and he was a bad guy. Uh, but Abbas is really no different in terms of his evil. But he dresses well. He's somewhat clean-cut. He went to the Sololinsky school. You know, don't look like a radical. That's right. And, and my point is, as I said in the show, is that the devil will always wear a tie. Remember that, folks. Every time you're dealing with people who sound great, who seem nice, seem very pleasant, um, you may very well be dealing with the devil. The devil will never show his horns. He'll never show you, I'm the, tri you know, the trident. You will think that you're dealing with somebody who's reasonable, but they are in fact the devil. And we see this time and time again, whether it's Mahmoud Abbas 
or um, the king of uh, Jordan, or even Saddam Hussein at one point, or Osama bin Laden. They all wanted to present themselves as, as powerful, and sorry, as good. Even countries portray themselves that way. They even uh, give themselves names that sound nice. For example, uh, the People's Republic of China. Right? Or the um, uh, Democratic uh, People's Republic of North Korea, whatever, right, DPRK. Exactly. Yeah. Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Right, and there's nothing democratic or republic about it, uh, but they, they, will, they will use these phrases in order to entice you to, to feel good about these, these countries. Um, so they all, they all dress up just so, as it were. Just remember, the devil always wears a tie. Yeah, Republic of Iran, not theocratic dictatorship of Iran. That's right. It's, um, we are, uh, and, and even to some, some extent, Rouhani, the new uh, president of Iran, who replaced Ahmadinejad. Uh, Ahmadinejad looked crazy. He certainly was crazy. Um, and he dressed in a somewhat uh, dislikable fashion. But Rouhani, oh, he's, he's the moderate one, supposedly. But he's doing the stuff that uh, Ahmadinejad would be glad to do as well. And he's advancing the same evil programs and has the same evil agenda. He just looks nicer. And evil will always take one step further to looking nicer and being more presentable. The, the Palestinian cause does this very well, right? I mean, they, they, they send out spokespeople who speak very moderately and they speak with quiet tones uh, to suggest that they are victims in much the same way as Gandhi or anyone else that has, is suffering under the yoke of the terrible um, Israelis. This is what they do. So uh, it, it, it's not obvious. I wish it were obvious. But too often people uh, look at people's eyes and say, and even Bush got fooled with Putin, remember? He said, I've look in, looked into his eyes and I saw a good man or something like that. Um, we, know, we know Putin is, is power hungry. We know that he, he has his own agenda. Um, but he wore a tie, as it were. And that's what we have to deal with. Well, anyway, I, I, I'm, I could talk about this particular issue all day long. Um, but the devil always does wear a tie. Folks, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, pray with me for those uh, three Israeli boys. And uh, pray for us all when it comes to what is happening in Iraq. We just hope that maybe we can have another podcast and surprise us all by saying that everything turned around somehow, but I fear not. I fear not. This is Brock Lurie. This has been the Brock Lurie Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.